It takes an extraordinary team to embark on an extraordinary mission. WealthVest presents the 99 Best Marketing Ideas, a podcast dedicated to bringing financial advisors the most cutting-edge marketing strategies. Listen in as your fellow advisors share their top ideas to help you conquer your marketing needs. Hello and welcome to episode number one, the inaugural episode of our podcast here. My name is Matt Howard. I'm the host. Today we have a very, very special guest. His name is Kelly. Kelly is uh, right outside uh, D.C., so the metro D.C. area. I have known Kelly for almost 10 years. He's one of the most innovative marketing financial advisors I've ever met in my life, and I thought it'd be very appropriate for him to be the first guest on the show. So, Kelly, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate being here. Hey, all right, man. Well, so we have a series of questions that I'm going to walk you through. Uh, My job today is to pull out as much as you will allow me to pull out to help other financial services professionals from around the country be able to market more effectively. But let's start from the foundation of everything, Kelly. Tell me why you decided to become a financial advisor. All right. So uh, so that's a great question because I think that's where it all should start. You know, why'd you do it in the first place? And I've got three, a three-part answer. So, uh, and I'll do it fairly quickly. But the bottom line, when I was in high school, my father passed away, had a heart attack and passed away and kind of left my mother in a situation where, you know, she had to take care of, you know, basically three, three high schoolers, you know, three teenagers. She uh, had a mortgage and all the other bills that came with that. So, you know, she had a lot of things that she had to take care of, but not a whole lot of money. And she was the part-time worker where my father was the full-time worker. And so, you know, I don't know how she pulled it off. Even today, I look at it and say, wow, how did she, you know, was she able to afford that? But she did. But I think a lot more planning could have been done, you know, to, to put her in a much better situation, more insurance, more savings, all those kind of things. Now, fast forward about 20 years after that, and my stepfather was in a situation. Uh, so my mother did remarry. We, we had lived in Baltimore at the time. And he basically got, uh, I don't know, bamboozled, I guess, by a stockbroker. But the stockbroker had been working with him for like 20 years. But then next thing you know, the stockbroker develops a drug habit. The drug habit becomes an addiction. And this guy starts funneling money out of all his, you know, not all of his clients, but a number of clients' accounts. And one of them was my stepfather. Now, my stepfather was in pretty good shape, had a paid off mortgage and had a you know small pension from the company he worked for, but he had been retired for probably 10 years. And in that thing that happened with this broker, he lost about 80% of his assets. And so, uh, you know, when I looked at that, I'm like, oh my gosh, how could he, how could he not be upset? But he never showed that he was upset. I'm sure he was. But he said to me one time, we had a conversation about this whole thing. He said this, he said, now, by the way, he knew who I worked with. I really specifically work with people in retirement or close to retirement. He said this, he said, when you're working with those people and you're working with their money, make sure you always do the right thing. And that do the right thing really hit me hard. And so that, that's uh, the second part of it. And the third part of it, when I was in college, I met a guy that was a, a financial guy. He was going into, uh, he wanted to be a stockbroker. And so he said, you know, we talked about making money and talked about a number of different things, had a number of conversations. But one conversation, he said, hey, you know what? You should get into the financial side of things because how could you not make money when you're working with people's money? And I said, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So so those three reasons drove me to get in this business. And I think it really is uh, you know, a good, 
kind of a kind of the best of all worlds. Yeah, you know, hey, I want to make money, but I really want to take care of people, and that's where we are today. And I think that really leads us right into question number two, which is what makes your practice unique and different? I'm sure it doesn't surprise you, Kelly, but as I've talked to financial advisors all over the country, a lot of them have that foundational story. So my addition to just what makes your practice unique and different is how do you keep those life lessons mindful and how do you use those from a marketing technique? You know, I so first of all, um, there's so many areas I could go with that question, but here's where I think I want to focus. Um and that's probably the best word is focus because what we did probably about 15 years ago, we said, you know what, who do we want to work with? You know, when you first come in the industry, it's friends and family and, you know, friends and family don't have any money. <laughs> so, but that's where they always start. And what I looked at and I said, wait a second, well, if friends and family don't have money, who does have money and who can I specialize in working with? And so, uh, and I talked to a number of different folks that were already successful you know, and, and that's one thing I've never been afraid to talk to, you know, the folks that are way ahead of me, you know, find out, hey, what are you doing? And what's funny is that those people are more than happy to talk to you about. It. So, you know, never hesitate to go talk to, you know, the top people in the industry to say, hey, how did you start? Because uh, they'll give you some really good information and you can really get a good foundation. But one of the foundations I got from those questions was all about who I wanted to work with. And that brought me to, to people close to retirement and people in retirement. So basically, now it'd be baby boomers, right? So uh, folks that are 55 plus. And for several reasons. One is they've, they've got money, all right? They've got the need because they've got to make, start making plans. But what's really interesting, when they're 55 or older, right at 55, something goes off in a client's head that says, you know what? I only have 10 years if I'm going to work till 65. And if I want to retire earlier than that, I may only have you know five or six or seven years. So they get really serious about retirement and they get really serious about doing the right thing. And then they start to realize, hey, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need help. So they end up being the perfect client. And then the last thing that tops it off is that they also realize that, hey, I'm not, I'm not in my 20s and 30s anymore. I can't be taking huge amounts of risk because I need to make sure the money's going to be there. So they're also willing to be more conservative, you know, versus you start working with the 20 and 30 year olds, they're still thinking the market's going to do 20% every year. So, so that's kind of the, the, where I started and why I'm different because of who I focus on. And then it's a lot about building the team. And we can go more into that. But, but the team, remember, your clients are outrageously important to you. Your team is outrageously important as well because one's going to take care of the other. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? A- a- absolutely. I, I love the I fact that you talk about the team. That's, that, to me, is one of the big pieces that I don't think a lot of people pay as much attention to as they should. In, in having the opportunity to talk to anybody, not really having that fear factor for some reason that other people have about people who are above their station in life really does make you unique and different. Now, what were some of the marketing ideas that you've used in the past that have just been home runs for you? You know, probably the biggest thing that uh, I've done and and probably the biggest thing I've seen in our industry is all about um, getting in front of groups of people. In other words, you know, you, you, you can get in front of onesie twosies. I always call it that, you know, like when I'm, I'm meeting with someone that, re- that was referred. And by the way, referrals are great, right? So don't ever stop that. But, but I'm never going to get rich or have a huge practice by working just with referrals. You know, and I ask people all the time, so, hey, how do you grow your practice? How do you market? Oh, I work strictly off referrals. And then I feel like saying, well, what's that doing for you? You know, because because most people just don't they don't get enough referrals. 
you know, they bring in one or two or three clients, you know, maybe a quarter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's good. I don't know. You know, it depends on the size of the client. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we grew by $100 million last year, right? And that was that was through referrals. That was through marketing. That was through, you know, some of what the market did for us. But, you know, that's growth because that's going to build a business that I'm going to be able to get rewarded for what I do. I'm really going to have impact on my clients, but I'm also going to be able to take care of my team. So if I can get in front of groups of people, I'm going to be much better off than just getting in front of, you know, one client at a time. Now, what that means is you've got to think outside the box. How are you going to do it? And and I say outside the box, but you can also think about, you know, like when you do seminars, I do a lot of seminars, workshops, educational events, because I want 20, 30, 50 people in the room at once that I can give that message to deliver it at once. You know, so as an example, we had two events last week. We got two events this week. You know, two days ago, we did a workshop and it was at a restaurant and we probably had, I think we had 24 households show up, right? And, and again, you're going to pay for food for some people that are just there for the food. If you can get over that, that's a really, you know, it's a big, big hurdle. But once you get over that and just realize this cost of doing business, right, then you start to see, wow, okay, now what did I get from it? Well, we set eight appointments at that, at that dinner. And we had three other people that still wanted to meet. The one we did the week before, we set 12 appointments. Um, and we had like two other people that still wanted to meet. So, so think about that. You start to look at those numbers and say, okay, now I've got a full schedule. And that's going into the next few weeks. Right? Does that make sense? So that, that, group, that group dynamic, being able to present to, to a number of different people at the same time and walk out of that meeting with appointments on your calendar mm-hmm. or on my other reps' calendars, that's the important thing. Well, I'm I'm thinking about our audience right now, and I think the first thing that's going through their mind is how are you getting butts and seats? And and that's that's fairly easy, relatively speaking. You know, it's I guess uh, think of it this way: money will do anything for you, right? <laughs> so you write a check to a mailing company, you're getting butts and seats, right? You're paying for dinner for a number of people to come and listen to you speak. People are going to come. Right. And so uh, so we use a, a couple of different mailing companies, you know, whether it be response mail, there's there's a few different companies we use. But then we also use some companies that are more based on social media. So they'll do Facebook ads and things like that to get people to uh, to meetings. Um, there's a company called White Glove that we've used in the past that has been very good. But remember, they, they are just a tool for you. You're using them as a tool. You're paying them money to do either a mailing campaign or to do a you know, social media campaign to get those butts and seats, right? And once you get it, then you've got to have, you've got to have something that you're going to present to them. That's going to make them want to come see you in your office. Gotcha. All right. So let's do a 180 here, Kelly. Sure. What are some of the marketing ideas that you, because I think our listeners by now will realize that you're not afraid to spend money on this stuff, which is the cost of doing business, right? That's fantastic. I love that you have a legitimate marketing budget and that you spend money to be able to make money, which a lot of advisors, as you know, don't do. But what are some of the things that you have thrown money towards that just didn't work well? All right. So actually, let me, can I, can I say one thing first? Of course. Before I get into that? Sure. I think the, uh, the way you need to look at marketing, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because you said that I'm not afraid to spend money on marketing. That's absolutely true. And I do think things, I do think a different way when it comes to marketing for a business, different than most, uh, most other advisors. And I've done a lot of research. I've read, I can't say every marketing book, but many, many, many marketing books. And, uh, and I truly love marketing. 
But one of the things that I found out about a number of years ago, and this has really kind of changed my world from the standpoint of how much I'm willing to spend, is something called the lifetime value of a client. And what that means is, uh, can you give you an example? It, it means what you're going to make off that client while you have them as a client. But let me give you the example. If I bring in a client and they have a million dollars and I charge them 1%, let's forget about any commission-based or anything like that. All I'm going to get is investment advisory money of 1%. I'm going to make $10,000 a year in gross returns off of that client. Okay. Now, and if I say, okay, on average, we keep a client for at least five years, right? Now that's at least five years. We probably keep them. We've got clients we've had for 20 some years, right? But, but let's just use five years as a number. Then I know I'm going to make $50,000 off that client. Okay. So every time I bring in a client, I know, Hey, I'm going to make 50 grand. I could afford to spend 20 grand to get that client. Now I'm not making it right away and making it over time, but you start to see the point. Hey, I, I'd, who would spend $20,000 to make $50,000? Everybody, right? But nobody thinks that way. So if you can start thinking that way, that's what's important, right? So that being the case, now I'll go back into the answering question. You know, so what hasn't worked? You know, the beauty about thinking about it this way where you, you know, you're not afraid to spend money. I'm willing to, to try a lot of different things. We've tried different mailers. We've tried, uh, we actually used educational workshops where we were actually presenting at universities and, uh, and we were charging for the class. You know, and, and that worked for a good while. But then we stopped getting as many people coming to the classes. And, and I think what happens is you get, a lot of, you get a lot of folks that in our industry that are doing the same thing. So now you got a lot of competition out there and they're all doing the same exact class you're doing or a very similar class. And so now you talk to, to prospects when they come into a meeting and say, oh, yeah, I got five of these invitations last week. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be harder to do that. But you've got to kind of always test, you know, kind of what's going on out there. So, so we stopped doing the educational classes where we're looking for a potential to get back in there if we can get, get the folks in for, uh, you know, for a lower cost. But that hasn't worked lately um, because a lot of times you're with those. Let's say you're doing a class. Oftentimes the class is going to be four hours might be two hours this week, two hours next week. So I'm meeting with someone for four hours. I'm teaching them everything about retirement planning. More than likely, I'm going to get about 70 to 80% of those people are going to come to my office for a meeting afterwards because they know me. They know everything we've talked about. They know that we know what we're talking about. All right. So that's great. But, you know, if the, if the numbers aren't there, then it doesn't make sense for me to meet with, you know, if I've got five households, I don't really want to meet with five households for four hours. And have my team be there as well. You know, a couple of members of my team that set it all up because it's just, I, I've got to look at a time value of money, you know, and say, is this worth my time? Now, that doesn't mean we would completely stop it because we are looking at it right now and saying, okay, are there other, other ways? Can we use social media to get more people in the room? Because I know I've got a good close ratio on, on that. I know I'm going to get, you know, a number of clients from that type of event, but I need to get the, the, the butts and seats there. That's been more challenging. We've tried webinars and we're, we're still working on it. We have not had huge success. We actually did bring one of our biggest clients in through a webinar that actually bought the financial plan uh, right at the webinar. It literally put her credit card down and paid for the financial plan. So that's worked, but that's kind of a one-off. Um, mm-hmm. we've, um, we've done a lot of different things like uh, client events. And, and I will say client events can be extremely successful but you've got to look at that as an event where you're trying to bring in, you know, clients and their referrals. 
And so when you do an event like that, you need to have a goal. Every event you have, everything you do should have a goal. Okay, we're going to do this event. We want 10 appointments from it. Okay, or we're going to do like we do. A, we actually do the uh, Gold Cup horse races, which is a big horse race, uh, steeplechase horse race, where we have 350 clients come. The event cost us $75,000 to, to actually do. Wow. So it's not cheap. But we need to be very focused on making sure our clients bring people that are potential prospects for us. And we need to focus on those prospects to make sure that we're going to bring them in for meetings. And so, uh, so we've always been able to pay for the event very easily with the clients that we've gotten out of it. Uh, but, uh, but you know, we're, that's because we're cognizant of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are just some of the things that I want to go over. This is a question that's not on the questions that I sent you ahead of time, but do you have a fixed percentage of your overall budget that you spend on marketing every year? We are probably at about, it's between 10 and 15. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty big budget. We're probably, actually this year it's going up. We're probably going to spend about, only because we have a, a really big growth plan in mind for the next two years. Mm-hmm. We will probably be at about above 15%. Okay. And so that's going to equate to probably $500,000 plus. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's a lot of money, well, uh, but the reason we're doing it is because we know that the market is right for it. Mm-hmm. And we, we know that, you know, again, I set big goals, but then the only way to set big goals is do whatever it takes. And that's what we're doing. Let's talk about doing whatever it takes. So how do you execute this stuff? What do you do or your team for that matter that makes these ideas work so well? So, so first off, I have a team, and that's outrageously important. And uh, and the better the team, the better your results. So I actually have, and I've had uh, you know marketing folks for a number of years, but they haven't been the best marketing folks. And so they, you know, it still required me to do a lot of different things. In the last couple of years, I hired two people on my marketing team that run the marketing team, and they are awesome. And so I say to do something, they go research it. Next thing you know, it's on my calendar. Right. And so uh, and they're having the tough conversations with the with the mail houses and, you know, trying to get the cost down and, you know, fighting for different areas and things like that. So so that's the one thing you need to be thinking about. You can't do everything. And even now I've got someone that does some of the seminars. I've got a, a, a um, one of my advisors that does the actual his own seminar and he'll bring in you know business from it, obviously, for the company. Uh, he is actually a very good speaker. So I'm, I'm going to keep him going on the speaking route. And then I'm also hiring a sales team now. Uh, so I've got, I guess I'll, I'll explain this in a second, but, uh, but it is, you know, when you start thinking about team, one of the first books to ever read should be the E-Myth um, by yeah, Gerber. Great book. So um, Gerber came up with this plan on how McDonald's was run. And he basically said, hey, they've got a team, but they make the jobs for every team member so easy that a high schooler could come in and do it. Right. But what's important is that when you start your company, you need to be thinking of all the different team members you're going to have and all the different positions and just realize you're wearing every hat at that point. And then slowly, as you get more productive and make more money, you can say, okay, now I'm going to I'm going to actually go hire that reception person. And and, you know, it's going to cost me money, but now they're going to handle these things. Now I'm going to hire that assistant to do paperwork. Now I'm going to hire the marketer. Now I'm going to hire the sales guy. So, so that's where we are now is, uh, you know, we've got a team of 15 and the focus is really on, you know, you know, I guess if we come up with a marketing plan if we come up with a strategy, someone's got to implement it and it can't be on me all the time. Right. So let me kind of take that one step further, Matt. I think this will be helpful as well. 
we also looked at the, at the business a little differently. Years ago, I was always uh, reminded in the insurance industry about the, and I'll try and get this right, it's the, the finder, the grinder, the binder, and the minder, mm-hmm. right? That's the mentality. That's the finder is the guy that goes out, you know, guy or gal that goes out and finds the people, you know, to work with. The grinder is the one that puts together all the plan and everything. The binder is the one that makes the sale. Oftentimes, the finder and the binder are one and the same. And then the minder is the person that's able to t- take care of the client, to make the client stay a client. And so I knew that I was a good finder and a good binder, but I didn't like grinding and I didn't like minding. And I really didn't like minding, but I knew that our clients needed to be taken care of. So I hired a team right now. I've got more people on the minding team than on the you know, finding and binding team, right? So because we've got, you know, we've got almost 400 clients and they need to be met with. And, you know, we're an RIA, registered investment advisory firm. So we, you know, we have requirements that we need to meet with them. We need to do certain things and we want to do it as well. But I knew that I wasn't that person. So I hired that team and slowly, you know, it started with one person then, then, uh, you know, hired another one. And then, you know, it went on from there. Right now, that's a team of six and about to be a team of eight, that takes care of all the client, any client issues, any client meetings, required minimum distributions, everything. So, so your question about execution is how do you get it done? It's about having the, the people in place and then the second part, having processes in place. In other words, when we have a review meeting, when we have a sales meeting, when we have a seminar, all based on process and we follow the same process with everything we do. You know, so if we're, if we're doing a, a, a workshop, we're going to follow a very similar process across all of our workshops. Right? If we're doing a review meeting, no matter who's doing it, we're going to follow the same process. So I hope that makes sense. It makes great, it makes sense. great sense. And I, and thank you for bringing up the minder, finder, binder, binder, grinder, because not only is that uh, an important aspect um, on how you can run your business, but when you read the e-myth, hopefully what's going to happen is you're going to realize what component or what part you should play in your business. And just like you were just selling, saying, Kelly, the people who you can't do it all. And, and I, I, I'm going to summarize what you said there, because I think that is the, my biggest takeaway. One, don't be afraid to hire the right people, pay for those people, treat them well, make sure they have the right things to do, but you can't do it all. And that leads us into the second to the last question, which is if you had one piece of advice for new advisors, what would it be? Well, I, first of all, I don't just have one piece, Matt. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lay it on us, man. I'm good. Let's go. Now, you know, I think the, um, the I think the thing is you've got to realize who you are and what you want to accomplish. You know, I, I've I've read and heard so many speakers. You know, like one of the one of the best ones was Simon Sinek and Start with Why. So, you know, I realize my why, and my why is all about you know helping people realize their pro- their true potential. Right? And so whether it be a person that's about to retire or is in retirement, uh, whether it be me, whether it be my, you know, my family or my, you know, just people I work with, you know, I want to help them figure out, well, who are they and who could they be, who they want to be? You know, so it's all about, you know, goal setting and things like that. But so I, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, how, how do you find out who you are? Read the book, start with why. That's, that's the first thing I'd do, uh, because you want to find out what your why is, what drives you. What's like that innate thing in the back of your head that's, that's pushing you every day? Then I think you need to find out, it, once you know that, you need to find out who you're going to work with, right? You need to say, okay, my, my best client potential or my best client in general is this type of person. 
and find out who that is and, you know, really draw that out, you know, put it on a, on a piece of paper, you know, do a straw, straw man figure of it to be able to say, this is what their attributes are. This is how old they are. This is, you know, how they think this is what stage of life they're in, all those kind of things. And then figure out a way to get in front of them from a group standpoint, you know? So if I say, okay, I know that, that my market is going to be pre-retirees and retirees between 55 and 75, right? And I know that, let's say my best client also is typically someone that worked for the government and now works outside the government, right? And I have great contact with females, right? Over males and and not the same, we don't work with, with males, but I just have, I can really get into the female's head, right? And really help them understand what they need to do from a retirement planning standpoint, then I can know exactly who I need to market towards, right? So I can build a system around that. And, and I think that's what people are missing. They're, they don't have, they haven't thought through all this. And then the, the other thing, the last thing about this is what I'd also do is figure out how I can be different than everyone else that's trying for that same market, right? And it's, that's, um, you know, the blue ocean strategy. I don't know if any if you've read that one, uh, Matt, but that's a great one. Talking about you know when you're when you're in your market and there are all kinds of people doing the same exact thing you're doing, it's it's a red ocean. There's all kinds of blood in the ocean, right? You're all going after the same clients. But what you've got to do is you've got to think differently. You've got to look at at what you do, what you offer, what kind of services you provide, and you've got to find the things that make you 100 percent different. So that instead of ending up working in it and kind of that, that those red waters where there's so many people competing, you've actually opened up a whole new blue ocean that no one's in. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a, you know, what do you do completely differently and how can you segment that? So now you can advertise that and say, you know what, here's what I do and here's why it's different. And now people aren't coming to you because you're just like everyone else and they're not looking at you like you're like everyone else. They're coming to you because of that different message and because you are different. Fantastic. Well, I hope people are taking notes right now, Kelly. Uh, Luckily, this is a podcast, so they can rewind it and listen to it again. Final question. What keeps you so motivated and working so hard every day? You know, I think um, the way I would answer that is that I just, you know, I, I always look at true potential, just like I was talking about before. You know, what is my potential? And I always realize that I can always do better. I can always do more. Yeah, and I love business, and I love marketing, and I love finding ways to get in front of people. Um, but you know what? If you can tie that into knowing you're helping people, whether it's your clients, whether it's your team, you know, then that will push you every day. Now, again, it doesn't mean that every day I'm in the best mood, and every day I've you know I've got you know positive things happening. I've been in the same place everyone else has been many times, where you know like. Hey, I, I had a seminar last night and, you know, barely got any meetings and had a lot of you know people there just for the food. But I try to get that negative side out of my head. And I also try never to hang out with negative people. If I've got negative people as friends, then I'm going to be negative. So I don't want to hang out with them. And so I think, you know, the thing that keeps me keeps me motivated is keeping positive. Right? I listen to a lot of, you know, different YouTubes. I listen to Simon Sinek all the time. Just there's so many great uh, podcasters, YouTube videos that you can watch and so many great books out there that'll keep you going, keep you motivated. Because, you know, the, the biggest thing that, that helps us and the biggest thing that hurts us is the conversation going on in our head. Mm-hmm. And if you can get over the fact that you had a bad day or you didn't sleep well and you can really get to the point of anything's possible and you can really start planning out that anything and say, wow, 
you know, I want to be 10 times bigger, which is it's a thing I used to talk about all the time with folks. And I still do. The 10 times mind expander I learned from Dan Sullivan from the strategic coach. If you can take your business where it is today, let's say you're making whatever it is, 100,000, a million, 10 million, whatever it is, and you add a zero, you times it by 10, right? So let's say I was making a million dollars this year and I times it by 10, now I'm making 10 million. You start to look back and say, okay, what kind of firm would I have at 10 million of revenue? What kind of people would I have? What Mm -hmm. kind of clients? What kind of marketing strategy? Those kind of things. It's those thought processes that I always go through in my head that keep me motivated to work hard every day and take care of those folks. The 10 times mind expander is fantastic. And for those of you who are podcast fans, which obviously you must like them a little bit if you're listening to this, the 10X talks uh, with Joe Polish and um, Dan Sullivan are fantastic. There's hundreds of them that'll fill up your uh, podcast player very quickly. The books that Kelly talked about today, whether it's, uh, you know, Start With Why, whether it's The E-Myth Revisited, you know, type in Blue Ocean Strategy as a Google search. All of those things are great nuggets of information from a person who I wanted to be on the show at the beginning because I know his level of success, I know his level of drive, and I know that he's been very innovative with marketing. So, Kelly, thank you for your thought leadership today. Awesome. Thank you. And I yeah, wish everybody luck. And just, you know, hang in there. I know it's a, it's a tough business, but it's a great business. And for all of us here, this is Matt Halloran, your host for episode number one of the greatest marketing ideas you're ever going to find. We'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthVest or Top Advisor Marketing. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthVest or Top Advisor Marketing. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest or Top Advisor Marketing do not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest or Top Advisor Marketing does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.